They have forgotten God. Fornication and adultery. A sickness that was not visible like smallpox, but no less dangerous and contagious. A sickness of the mind. You see, Ralph was a homosexual. On the last episode, my mom told me all about her romances and the events that led up to her returning to BYU to be cured of her homosexuality. On this episode, before hearing about her conversion therapy, First, I wanted to know more about how a convert to the religion, like herself, could become so devoted. What was it about the teachings that inspired her to want to change? The Story of Sandra Marie, Episode 3, The Anti-Gay Saints. get brainwashed (laughs) but um, it was all the teachings and seminary seminary taught you very well uh, about all the different books that they believe in and what we should believe and what we should think and then everybody that's surrounded about you and then you have to go to church and listen to every the first Sunday of every month is fast and testimony meeting and you get people standing up and saying how they know that the church is true and that they believe in Joseph Smith and etc etc and you want to belong. And everybody you know that's surrounding you is saying this is true and this is the only way you're going to go to God, including your mother and father in a roundabout way. They want you to go, they don't want to live it, but they want you to go. And then all the teachers and classes about getting married in the temple. That was a big thing. I had to get married, but not just married. I had to be married with a man who could take me to the temple. So. I, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I, I don't know exactly when it hit me that it was true, but I believed it was true. I wanted to please God. I didn't want to go to hell. Another thing that they teach is the different levels of heaven. And there's three levels of heaven. There's actually more than three, but there's a celestial kingdom, the trilestial kingdom, or trilestial kingdom, the way I like to pronounce it, and the telestial kingdom. The telestial kingdom is the lowest kingdom, and to live there is not very good, as far as LDS people believe. It's almost like their hell. There's outer darkness, but you really basically have to deny the Holy Ghost to go there. But murderers, robbers, stealers, and homosexuals live in the telestial kingdom. And God is too good and pure to come down and visit you. So you never get to live with God if you go to the telestial kingdom. And then the trilestial kingdom's a little better, and the people that live in the celestial kingdom and Jesus can come down and visit the trilestial kingdom, but Heavenly Father only is in the celestial kingdom. And then there's three levels in the celestial kingdom. And if you live really righteous and do everything they tell you and get married in the temple, you and your family can live in the top 
level of the celestial kingdom and the you know you're all going to live forever but this top celestial kingdom gets to create worlds and become gods themselves and get to create a world themselves and that's the goal well i don't want to be in hell i don't want to be a sinner i want to live with my family so of course if this is what it is I want to I want to do that so I did everything in my power I did everything they told me to do so that I could please God Children of God can willfully surrender to their carnal nature and without remorse defy the laws of morality and degrade themselves even below the beasts if children have a happy family experience, they will not want to be homosexuals, which I am sure is an acquired addiction, just as drugs, alcohol, and pornography are. The promoters of homosexuality say they were born that way, but I do not believe this is true. There are no female spirits trapped in male bodies and vice versa. He who made them made them male and female. Every form of homosexuality is sin, said the living prophet Spencer W. Kimball. The great Moses, these perversions were an abomination and a defilement, worthy of death. To Paul, it was unnatural, unmanly, ungodly, and a dishonorable passion of an adulterous nature, and would close all the doors to the kingdom. Fornication and adultery, homosexual acts are inspired by the devil and are grievous sins in the sight of God. Liars and thieves and adulterers and homosexuals and murderers scarcely seek to hide their abominations from our view. Iniquity abounds. There is no peace on earth. In the 1950s, there was an increase in U.S. public discourse around homosexuality, known as the era of the McCarthyist Lavender Scare. The Lavender Scare refers to a witch hunt and the mass firings of homosexual people in the 1950s from the United States government. It contributed to and paralleled the anti-communist campaign known as McCarthyism. Gay men and lesbians were said to be security risks and communist sympathizers which led to the call to remove them from state employment. It was during this time that Mormon Apostle J. Reuben Clark gave several of the first public speeches by a high-ranking LDS leader to use the term homosexual. During one of these speeches at a priesthood session, he mentions that those guilty of the filthy crime of homosexuality are not a part of the army of the Lord. Also in the 50s, another apostle, Harold Lee, explained that several scriptures in the Old and New Testament described homosexuality as the most abhorred sin in God's sight, which justified the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This intolerance was a common accord among all apostles and leaders alike. Another apostle, Harold Bingham Lee, gave a lengthy anecdote about a woman in love with another woman, stating that the ugly practice and unpardonable sin of homosexuality is more common than we realize. 
but perhaps no other Mormon has been more influential in spreading intolerance and even hatred than Spencer W. Kimball. He was assigned as a church specialist on homosexuality in 1947 and shaped church teachings on the subject through numerous speeches and publications in the 60s and 70s. Kimball's most influential book was called The Miracle of Forgiveness. It was published in 1969, and it taught that homosexuality was curable and was officially recommended and distributed as a resource for homosexual members up until the 90s. In this book, he lumps homosexuals in the same category as liars, thieves, murderers, and adulterers. This was one of the books that my mother was given to read and study. In 1962, Brigham Young University's president, Ernest Wilkinson, being directed by apostles Kimball and Peterson, instituted a complete ban of any students attracted to people of the same sex, regardless of behavior. Wilkinson received permission in 1967 to request that BYU bishops report any student whom they suspected was breaking rules or who had confessed to violating BYU conduct codes. This resulted in 72 students suspected of homosexual activity reported to the Standards Office, now called the Honor Code Office, and many expulsions and suspensions. Security files were kept on suspected gay students, and student spying was encouraged. The ban lasted until April in 1973, which was the year my mother returned to BYU for her conversion therapy. It was in the fall of 73, 1973, I went back to BYU and I took a class, I took a semester, so my parents knew what I was doing, but I went there to take the conversion therapy. I stayed in, it was an apartment, but it was off campus, but there's six girls that live together in a, an apartment and that's where I lived. I called the department and they, um, said that somebody would get back to me. And in a week, a man called and made an appointment to see him. And when I went to the appointment, he was very nice. He was actually a senior in the program, and they kind of turned it over to him to do. And so he had the choice of whether or not he wanted to do it with me. And he confirmed what my teacher and the bishops told me is that I, I would be displeasing Heavenly Father if I stayed gay and that it was disastrous to my, he, to my soul and that I would end up in hell slash telestial kingdom. And um, he explained to me the different types of therapy that we would be using. We would be doing aversion therapy. We'd be using hypnotherapy and probably shock therapy. So we talked about my life in that session and about my girlfriends that I had had and, and stuff like that. And then he said, after the session was almost over, he gave me an assignment. He says, yes, I will work with you. We'll, we'll meet once a week. And every week I'll give you different assignments. And the first assignment for me was to go get some rubber bands and put the rubber band around my wrist. And every time I saw a, a girl or a woman, and I thought any thought like, oh, wow, even if thought of, oh, she's cute, or even I like what she's wearing, anything, I had to pull the rubber band out as far as I could and let it go. And that would 
supposedly start making me stop thinking thoughts. But he did ask me a lot about, uh, he asked me if I had a smell that I hated. He said, what's the most horrible smell you can think of? And I said, I told him the story of when my dog, when I lived on the farm, got sprayed by a skunk. And my mother, the dog came in the house and she was whining and my mother let her in and she was just so wild and crazy that she ran through the whole house and it took for quite a while to catch her. And then my mother would scrub the poor dog and scrub and scrub and scrub and we couldn't get rid of the skunk smell. And it was so strong, you would just choke. And that was the, the worst smell that I think I've ever smelled. He said, good, that we're going to use that smell in our hypnotherapy sessions. And so I went home and bought a bunch of rubber bands and, and wore them on my wrists. And, you know, I had to walk clear across the BYU campus. And the girls back then had to wear dresses. You couldn't wear uh, pants. And there's a lot of cute girls on the campus. So I was flipping my wrists a lot. And I would flip them until the huge welts. And then the welts would start to bleed. And then I would trade wrists and then I moved the band up a little bit higher because I didn't want bleedy wrists and just back and forth and um, over the months I had horrible welts I started to wear long sleeves so people couldn't see the welts on my wrist and I did that all the time and then there were times on the weekends when I didn't have class I'd just stay home in my apartment because I wanted to give myself a rest I didn't want to have to go out and hurt myself anymore. I just took a break and studied and stayed in my room on the weekends, so I didn't have to do that. He would hypnotize me, and in the hypnosis, he would have me think about a relationship with a girl or some of the relation uh, some of the things I did in the past and things like that and then I'm supposed to when I would think of that or I think of a, a sexual quality of being with a girl I would bring in the skunk smell and smell it until I'm ready to vomit and so I would think a girl was pretty or cute I would try to smell the skunk smell until I would vomit. And the hypnotherapy helped that settle in. And then I'm supposed to do that off campus too. If I think a bad thought, I flip myself and try to smell the skunk smell. It's just supposed to try to make you not think, not be attracted to women, period. And then the third session, so this is just my third week into this, he comes with all these pictures of naked men. And he said, no, I know you're going to think this is pornography, but the general authorities have approved that in this train, in this therapy, the homosexuals can look at this and not be breaking the laws of the church and you're not sinning. So you don't have to worry you're not sinning by looking at these pictures. You've got permission to do it. And I thought that was so odd because here is a church that is so strong in teaching high morals. They don't even want you to kiss more than just a little pet goodnight when you're dating. They don't want you to make out. They don't want you to pet. You're not supposed to touch each other. Absolutely no intercourse before marriage. Very, very, very strong in moral conduct. 
and they're telling they're bringing me and pornography is a horrible sin and they tell me to look at these pictures and imagine myself with these guys and to to look at their bodies and see what they like what you like and imagine touching them and these are pictures of naked men with erections and i'd never seen a naked man before my father was very modest i saw him in his underwear once in the middle of the night when my mother passed out and I ran up the stairs to see what was going on and he got about a bed and that's the only time I even saw my father in his underwear because he was a very modest shy person and so to see these pictures really blew me away and uh, it was very odd that there's this church that's breaking all their own rules to cure us told me to be very careful, not let anyone else see them, that I was supposed to look at those pictures three or four times a day and imagine touching them and imagine him touching me and see what I like about him. And then we would talk about it in the next therapy. I tried to do that. I did everything they told me. And so then in the next session, he asked me, well, what do you like about this picture? And I would say, oh, he has nice eyes. I like his lips, I like his shoulders, he's got strong muscles. And he interrupts and says, you're ignoring the penis. I said, well, that's not that attractive to me, I'm sorry, you asked me what was attractive, (laughs) you know. And he said, you're ignoring the parts that we're trying to get you to like. And, And do you hate men? I said, no, I don't hate men. I wanna be a man, my best, If I have any friends, they're men. I want to hang out with guys, but I want to date women. I consider myself like a guy. Uh, I don't enjoy looking at these pictures. And he says, well, we're going to keep working on this. You need to enjoy looking at these pictures. You need to imagine them touching you. And then the permission to date guys. Well, if a guy asks me out and they want a pet or... Uh, touch each other to let him do it to not to not let not stop him just don't go all the way just don't have intercourse but anything else is free range and that shocked me and I said okay I'll do that but I was very lucky that I didn't have any men dating me at BYU they none I mean I wasn't that cute of a girl wasn't ugly but I wasn't as cute as some of those other girls and luckily no one asked me out so I didn't have to deal with that until I left BYU. I thought all that was very strange, but I I tried. After we discussed the pictures, he had me take them home, and my assignment was to look at them three or four times a day and to imagine the guys touching me and me touching them and me kissing the penis and, and trying to feel comfortable. After I started to do this, I'm doing this three or four times a day, and then I'm being hypnotized about it. Um, I started having nightmares. Uh, every time I, every night I'd wake up with nightmares of these, and I'm terrified of snakes, but, and that's probably why, but I'm terrified of snakes, but I'd have a penis, and there was no man there, it's just the penis, but he would, it was like a snake, and it would just grow and grow, and it would wrap around me like a snake, like a boa constrictor almost, and it would come and it would choke me, and then I would wake up. And I would have these horrible dreams and go and tell him, and he said, oh, you're just afraid of sex. You know, that's all. You're, that's all that dream is. And 
I'm not sure why I had the dreams. If it was all the looking at pictures and overwhelmment and and not wanting to do this, but doing it anyway. You know, I, I don't know why I had the dreams. Before the electric shock therapy, then some of the other sessions, they would have me um, that take videos of how I walked and how I sat. And then we would work on walking more feminine and sitting more feminine and talking more feminine. See, and I had tried to walk more like a guy and sound more like a guy. I'd lower my voice and was trying to be more masculine. And so I had to relearn how to walk. So a lot of that therapy happened. And makeup, I had to wear makeup. So I already had to wear a dress. Uh, but I had to wear makeup and paint my nails and do all the feminine things that wear lipstick. I, I wasn't doing any of that. I, that didn't impress me at all. But I did it. And, and so I did a lot of that kind of stuff. And then later on, then they brought in the shock therapy. Walk into this room and there's just a little tiny box. It's just a little tiny box kind of like a battery charger probably with different wires coming out of it and they put a wire on every finger and then we'd I'd turn a page a book a great big book and every time I turned a page and it was a girl I'd get a shock and if it was a guy I was safe and most of the pictures are girls of course and I pray okay hope the next one is a guy <laughs> and it wasn't enough shock that it would electrify you but it was enough to really hurt they're just trying to make you not like girls. The gentleman that I was working with, my therapist, uh, graduated during this because I was doing this for two whole years. And he graduated, and so they brought this other woman in who was a senior at that point, and she took over. And that's when a lot of the heavy stuff ended, like the shock therapy and the... Uh, naked pictures of men. She didn't use any of that. We just talked. And by that time, I had quit college again, and I had moved to Salt Lake City and got a job because I'd ran out of money, and my parents were poor, and they couldn't really help me with tuition. And I lived in Salt Lake, and so every week on the weekend, or I think it was on Fridays afternoons or something, but I would go and talk with her once a week, and we did that for about six or seven or eight months. And then it's, it started to be there was nothing to talk about. I wasn't going after girls. You know, there was just nothing I was doing that was showing that I was still a homosexual. But unbeknownst to her, I was very attracted to her. <laughs> <laughs> and I was getting a crush on her, but I never told her. And so, see, right there, they're saying I'm cured, but I've got a crush on my therapist I don't know. It doesn't work. But she said, you know what? I think these therapy sessions, we don't need it. We're wasting our time. I think you're fine. If you go and keep dating men and get married, you'll be fine. Once you have sex with a guy, you'll be fine. That's what they're always telling me. Oh, once you have sex with a man, you'll be fine. You won't be attracted to women. It's just a phase. It's the way you train your mind.
story of Sandra Marie. We hear how, in obedience to the church, my mother begins dating men. And in doing so, she gets set up with a return missionary, a man she would regretfully come to marry, my father. And my mother and I would also like to thank everyone so much for tuning in. We really appreciate all of your kind words and reviews. And please, stay tuned. Stay tuned.